Welcome to Mob Talk with Talia and Chris. Welcome back everyone to Mob Talk. This week we've got on the lovely Carissa Nyalu. I'm Talia Little, proud of Run to Woman, and I'm here with my brother boy Christopher Patton. How, how are we everybody? Chris Patton here, proud Palawa man, back again for another episode of Mob Talk. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, before we start, we'd like to do an acknowledgement, Chris. Thank you, Talia. Before we get started today, I'd like to acknowledge the grounds that we gather across today, whichever the, whichever grounds that is that you're meeting across. We're on Bunurong land and I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and future emerging leaders and just acknowledge our elders' connection to country. Thank you. Carissa, how have you been? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on today. So for listeners that don't really know who you are or much about you, are you able to give us a little bit of a rundown of about you, about your journey, your story and what are you up to? Yeah, so um, I'm a Yorta Yorta Zha Zha Wurrung woman living down on Bunwurrung country on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, I grew up here most of my life. I was born in Benalla and then moved to northern New South Wales and, yeah, back here in Vic, which is great, um, off country, but um, yeah, hopefully get back there one day to live. Um, I do many different things down here. Uh, I work at Bunjilwara, which is an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Youth Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Centre, or as we like to call it, a healing centre, because we do a lot more than just um, rehabilitation. Um, and also work at the Koori Heritage Trust in Federation Square as a cultural awareness educator um, and a musician, a singer-songwriter and, yeah, just, just doing lots of things um, around community. Carissa, you're a Yorta Yorta and Jaja Wurrung girl. I'm familiar with a couple other people of the same, of Yorta Yorta and Jaja Wurrung. We were supposed to have another guest on today who's, who's the exact same. What's the connection between those two, those two mobs, those countries? Could you give us a little bit of background on the area that they are and um, how would you, how would you uh, summarise or what are, what are some things about um, the mob from up there that you could share with us? Well, my people are from uh, near Barma, the Yorta Yorta um, people, my clan group. Um, so up near Moira Lakes and up towards Yalupna. Um, so I come from two clan groups there and um, Zha Zha Wurrung country uh, is, you know, around the Bendigo region. Um, my family's from a place about an hour north of Bendigo called Mount Hope. Uh, so the connection there for me is that um, some of my family were moved from Mount Hope to Corundurk Mission in Healesville and Wurundjeri country and then eventually moved up to Kamaragunja to the mission there. So that, that's how that connection's formed for me. Um, yeah, um, a lot of people ended up at Kamaragunja from all over, so yeah. And how did you kind of, how did you kind of, I'm, I'm assuming that so, so these opportunities with music and, um, you know, it looks like you're a real, real, real active in the, um, in the Aboriginal community. What brought you down to Melbourne and even further down to the Peninsula Way? Yeah, so my grandma was removed from, actually, she wasn't actually removed. They were going to take her away, the authorities, and um, that caused that displacement because they found out that the authorities were coming to get her and her sister and take them away. So they actually ran away. Their parents, uh, Bertha and Bagot Morgan, 
told them to run away and basically don't come back. It's too dangerous. And um, so they left uh, to Melbourne. They actually identified as being Indian and changed their names and um, because there was so much fear of what would happen to them. So then uh, my grandma uh, ended up moving to Gippsland and having my uh, dad and his brother and sister. And then I think that that sort of caused that displacement and disconnection and then um, dad ended up, you know, starting his own family and um, just focusing on that and they thought let's move away and, uh, yeah, they chose northern New South Wales. So they moved up there and um, had five of us kids and then eventually realised that we need to move back down here and be closer uh, to our family and stuff. So, yeah, we moved, they chose the Mornington Peninsula. That's that's great. That's incredible. Our First Nations people having to feel like they should identify as Indian and not, um, you know, not Aboriginal. But it sounds like you guys have uh, kind of reestablished your strength in culture. I know you've got some. Um, I know you've got some family. We've had Lionel on, who's um, obviously a legend of the area and um, a wealth of knowledge. But it's really good to. Hear. I didn't know that um, about. Lionel actually told me that he used to do the same and him and his brothers, I think, used to say that they were Maori. So it's the same kind of connection in feeling like, you know, Aboriginal. Well, as Lionel said, being Aboriginal was being the scum of the earth. That's how it was viewed in those days. So being Maori. Yeah, quite unsafe as well for a lot of people. Um, But, yeah, I know Lionel. um, I'm so lucky to have formed a connection with him down here and it's really nice to to learn from people like him and um yeah he you know he's a wealth of knowledge and he always shares that stuff with me but um yeah my my parent um my dad and his brother and sister ended up you know really finding that connection um to their aboriginality uh and yeah i'm really lucky that i've still got my uncle around to to teach me things so yeah. I don't want to go too far into the uh, the kind of feeling unsafe around identifying, but I can't help but want to kind of ask or get a little bit more information on like what kind of safety things would you have to worry about? And I mean, I know this is a different age that we're talking about here. That's it's. Um, I mean, this is this is probably not the two thousands, but. Um, maybe a little bit before that, but even probably up until I don't, I don't want to speak in information I don't know, but um, I'm hoping this was a long time ago and that you guys, the mob up there feels a lot more comfortable, but what kind of safety things would you guys have to feel like you'd have to worry about? Yeah, well, when I say that um, identifying could, could have been unsafe, I'm talking about my grandma's generation mm-hmm. um, and that fear of um, being taken away, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that removal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for her, you know, they get – the authorities were after spe- specific um, people. They'd have names. You know, if you've seen Rabbit Proof Fence, you would know that. Um, great, great movie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was that fear, you know, if we ever come back or uh, people find out where we are, we're going to get taken. Um, so it was quite unsafe for them. But now obviously things are a lot different and um, I think, you know, that sort of gets passed down onto her children but now we live in a, you know, different world where, you know, it is it is a lot safer and 
identify. Yeah, and that's great that you guys have just completely flipped the script and been like, not only we're we going to identify, but we're going to we're going to strengthen our community. We're going to be advocates. We're going to grow our culture, share it, um, give back. You know, um, could you talk a little bit about the the Curry Heritage Trust? I've only been there once, but it was a it was a, a it was an awesome experience. I learned heaps. Um, I had a tour guide who uh, took us around in a group of um, a group of uh, a group of young people and um, some of our, some of the VACA workers. And um, the the tour guide she um, she identified as a as a Palawa woman and said she was from the um, the northeast coast of um, Tasmania, Cape of Portland, and that's kind of where that's that's where my family's from. So we got chatting, and um, she's sort of like a a long distance cousin but we that we like there was enough family and and um that hasn't happened to me before there's not sort of a whole lot of polo running around so um i had a really good yarn with her just about because you know there was a lot of information that i was wanting to hear from her um can you just talk a little bit about the curie heritage trust what you guys do there some of your experiences and yeah yeah we do many different things at the trust um we are basically a cultural center um we have walking tours as you've been on we do workshops events exhibition openings so we have exhibitions as well uh curry christmas is one of our our biggest events which is in federation square we have a family history unit so that is um the only part of the trust that's government funded so that's basically um putting people's family trees together uh people coming in and don't know where they're from or you know what their real name is all that sort of thing so yeah it's a really important job that they do in the family history unit um and we have a collection uh so we have um artifacts and tools that date pre-contact as well as uh commissioned works and other sorts of things that we put in that collection and obviously we have uh, the education team, which is the team that I'm in, delivering cultural awareness sessions to organisations um, and a shop. So we've got lots of stuff going on and anyone can come in anytime. We're reopening again soon, so that's cool. And it's an awesome location right there along the Yarra and um, I know when I had the tour, there, there was photos and there was photos of sort of what the what what the, what that area looked like slowly as colonisation came about and the development of the Melbourne city and pictures of pictures pre-colonization and then sort of that slow takeoff to where we are now but um, it's in a really nice spot there along Fed Square and the Yarra as well so highly recommend anyone out there that if they haven't if they haven't been there if you've got kids or um, you know even just friends that might want to know a bit more definitely head on down to the Curry Heritage Trust and um, you'll learn heaps in just, just a few a good hours. Day. Yeah, good day to have. Um, what's your work been like? Has it changed much during COVID? Have you been at home more? Obviously been at home more, but what's your music career been like during COVID and obviously working at the Koori Heritage Trust? Have you guys had to do virtual tours or is there anything like that? Yeah, so we're, the education team, we're, we're still delivering cultural awareness sessions online. We've actually been really busy. Uh, I think a lot of businesses are looking at you know, their training for staff and stuff. So that's really great. We've been delivering heaps of sessions. Um, with music, it's been a bit strange. Uh, playing some live stream gigs, but I'm not really into it. Uh, it's a bit, you know, there's not that real connection. Uh, but it did give me some time to, you know, just have a bit of downtime and um, focus on, um, you know, Going, getting outside where we where we could, and um, 
yeah, hanging with my daughter. And so, yeah, it was good to have that bit of downtime. It's really had ups and downs, COVID. I mean, it's terrible what's happened and for the music industry and the hospitality industry and all the businesses shutting down. But one thing I found for me is that you were kind of forced to spend more time with your family and that's the kind of time you can't get back. And in everyday lives, you sound like you've got a really hectic life, you know, with your music and the Koori Heritage and Bandwara and all this and that. Well, did you find that you really enjoyed that time hanging out with your daughter and more quality time, I guess? Yeah, I think um, it was nice to just ground yourself again. And um, But, yeah, pretty stoked things are open back up so I can go up to country next weekend and um, get out camping and stuff. But with Bunjawara, we stayed open. Uh, we limited numbers with the youth coming in, but, yeah. What kind of healing do you do at Bunjil that's different from a mainstream service, would you say? So we have a cultural lead and a clinical lead at Bunjawara. Therefore, obviously implementing culture into the program as well because our young people, or everyone, we all need culture to heal, um, whether it be, you know, out bush, connecting to country, learning some sort of um, arts or craft. So, yeah, we, we work with culture and clinical um, and come together. I reckon, I reckon staying at Bunjawara over this lockdown period would have been a um, bit of a treat for the young people. Like you got, you got a good amount of space. You got basketball courts. You got some art rooms. Art rooms. Yeah. Meeting place. Yeah. Basket weaving. Yeah. Were you guys still? Did you have to wear a mask and everything in there still? Yeah, we're still wearing masks and we're yeah very COVID safe. Um, I think it was hard for them because we couldn't have the programs as much as what we did have. So, so yeah, it's good things opening back up again and we can start looking at camps and, uh, you know, getting out and about and doing some more things. Do you see some big changes in young people from the start of when they come into Bunjil to the end? Yeah, huge changes. Um, and a lot of it does come down to obviously the clinical team are incredible and do incredible work. But a lot of the young people coming in have never really had that true connection to country um, and to culture, you know, because we've got that trauma, that intergenerational trauma, there's so much of it. So being in a space where it nurtures sort of that connection to culture, you know, it really does help. And um, yeah, we hear from young people afterwards and keeping contact and yeah, it's really deadly. Um, I just love it. That's something big that we see in a lot of our young people that we work with is that disconnection from culture. A lot of young people not knowing where they're from, who their mob is, you know, um, just all of that. And it's really awesome to see that Bundle can kind of provide that in a safe environment for kids that, for young people that have been through so much and to know that it's okay and you can come here to heal, you know. So it's really cool what you guys are doing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, uh, for me firsthand, like I know what it's like not having that connection, I guess, and not knowing why you don't feel like you fit in into this this world that we live in. And um, I know myself that connecting back to culture and country has healed me. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just amazing that we can offer that to them. But we need more Bunjilwaras. Oh, for sure. Getting our young people in there is tough. Yeah, it is. There's, it's there's, really tough. We've got there's there's Bunjilwara and there's what there's there's 
Baruna up in Echuca, but um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the young people that that go to Bunjawara or uh, Baruna, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for a culturally, you know, an Aboriginal specific service like that, you know, they might not kind of get that 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 sort of support that they you know desperately need. And um, I've seen I've seen like you like you spoke about some of those successful outcomes that um, might not probably wouldn't have even they probably wouldn't have even set foot in a place like that if it was you know if it was a mainstream sort of sort of place, they'd probably feel quite unsafe. Yeah, and that's all about, you know, creating those culturally safe spaces for our people and that's why it's so important that we do have have them, you know, because then a lot of them, a lot of us aren't going to go into mainstream um, support and help and organisations. So, yeah, it's all about, you know, we need to be thinking about prevention rather than, you know, putting these kids into the system, into the youth detention and, and ending up incarcerated after that. You know, we need we need more of these places that are culturally safe. Oh, yeah, for sure. In the Northern Territory, you can be incarcerated as young as, I think it's 10 years old in the Northern Territory. Like, that's crazy. That's my little sister's age being put in juvie or whatever it, like... It's Your just little insane. sisters are cheeky as so. I wish I could put them away yes. sometimes. <laughs> oh god, they're they're eleven now, and it's just too much. They're just going through moody stages. So so, Carissa, you um you're you're obviously um right into the music scene. You've you've played you've played a lot of gigs everywhere. Your music can be found pretty easily on the internet. Um, can you sort of speak a little bit about about how you got started, the the guitar and sort of like your style of music and um, what you kind of, yeah, what, what you kind of sort of try to put out with your music as well? Yeah, I started playing music when I was really young, something that my dad and um, my uncle uh, have taught me. Um, so growing up, singing around campfires, and then I started writing my music when I was a teenager, but it was more like it was always pretty folky and, you know, about going surfing or uh, whatever, but it used to be uh, mainly for fun. Like I played in a band. Um, this was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and then, you know, things sort of stopped. I had my daughter and, um, yeah, one day I actually just – uh, started writing when I was on a bit of a journey, finding out my true identity and uh, I guess a way of healing with that and um, connecting with, with that journey, I was writing songs um, about it. So, you know, it was pretty, it's a pretty lonely journey trying to connect back to, you know, who you are. It's no one else's journey, it's your own. Um, so, yeah, I found songwriting sort of, um, was a bit of therapy with that. And then I came across, you know, lots of horrendous stories about things that had happened to, to my ancestors. And um, all the while um, I was writing songs and, and researching. And then I thought, you know, I need to share these stories. They've been suppressed and I've been so lucky to, to come across them and find the information I have. So, yeah, I just thought I need to use my platform that I have for music to share stories about my family and use my voice uh, because, you know, they never had a chance. So, you know, I felt like it was a real responsibility of mine um, and it's just something I can't not do. Uh, and, yeah, I was, you know, songs would just come to me. Like, you know, I just 
I'd go out on country or um, be talking with some mob and some elders or whatever and then I'd be driving home and it's like these songs are just coming through me and I was actually reading this book about um, about our people and, and song lines and um, how deeply embedded uh, this knowledge is in our DNA and um, so, yeah, it's really pretty wild. Like these songs just come to me and it's like I've been passed them down to share and, yeah. Well, that's what our people do. We express ourselves through art, song, dance, everything. So, you know, it just kind of comes naturally to our mob. Um, can you explain to everyone what song lines are just for people who don't really know? I don't know. Well, there you go. <laughs> can you explain to Chris? Thanks. Yeah, well, song lines were used, um, we all remember things better through song, everyone. So if you're trying to remember something uh, and you put it in a song, you'll, you'll remember it better. It's like, you know, the ABCs, it's in can a song. Can you give a freestyle right now just as an example? I think I know what you've <laughs> yeah, can, can I put you on the spot? Give us, a, <laughs> give us a quick one. Give us a quick one. Sing a, <laughs> sing a little bit about the podcast or a little bit of a rap. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't freestyle. <laughs> Talia, Talia, give us one. Come on, you know what right, someone's like. Give us no, no, come on. Are you getting nervous? I'll go. I'll go. I'll go back and just practice. Um. So, yeah, we remember things better through song, and our people knew this. Um. You know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh. So, if you were traveling through country, or, you know, to a different part of. Um, someone else's country or whatever, you'd go along the way and there'd be certain um, landmarks or stars that you could see in the sky um, and then you're sort of creating a song about these landmarks and stuff as yeah. you're travelling through. Okay. So that's like your song line. Um, but also now um, for me my song line would be uh, from here going up through country, up through Jajawaran country into Yorta Yorta country. It's like a, it's a bit of a story and um, everyone has their own individual song lines. Um, obviously, we have some maps throughout the country as well. But, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, how do you – is that your kind of mission at the moment to try and keep those song lines alive? I mean, I know every place is different and every country, every, you know, all of our languages are different, but how do you kind of feel like we, how do we keep that alive? Well, for me, it's um, about um, keeping my language alive. So I've been writing lots in um, Yorta Yorta and Jaja Wurrung language, uh, which is pretty empowering for me uh, because, you know, these languages have been suppressed uh, they've tried to wipe them out so for me to be able to to sing in language again is you know it's just something special and I can't explain the feeling that I get when I can sing in my people's language they fought so hard to keep our languages alive so um yeah it's like you get up on stage and you're just like here it is, like, you know, this is what our people fought for and we're reviving it and um, just keeping, yeah, our stories alive. Keeping it's really alive, yeah. Who taught you? Who taught you the language? That's that you know, like I mean, in the sort of the younger generation now, you don't see that a whole lot as much as, um, you know, as much as we'd like. I actually am learning it myself. Um, we, for Yorta Yorta, we have 
um, a, an app, but the words are limited. There's not that many words on the app, but I also have a Yorta Yorta language book. So I think once you start listening to the language on the app, because you you know it speaks back to you so you can hear how things are pronounced, you start to understand how it sounds, the phonetics and stuff. Um, and for me, it, it's sort of just come naturally. It just comes out and you can feel how it's meant to sound. And uh, it's that cellular memory that we have, you know, like, yeah, it's pretty cool, but it's not easy. It's certainly not easy to write a song, a full song in language. Or even learn language without being out in the bush or with our aunties mm. and uncles and stuff like that. Like for me, that's the way I have learnt a bit of language in the past is by sitting out with all my aunties and nanas who are speaking fluent Aranda and I'm just sitting there like, oh God, I don't know what I don't know what everyone's saying. But that's kind of the way you learn. So I guess for us as the next generation is to take it upon ourselves and take that responsibility on our ancestors have fought to get us here. How can we fight to keep it alive? Is that is that the primary language they speak when you're up there? Aranda? Yeah. Nah, I'd say Pitindara. Yeah. I think that's more South Australia. And um, that's, Aranda's pretty hard to learn, um, whereas Pitindara is easier than Aranda. If it's just them, if it's just them that, and they all know language, will they stick with with language or if, or do they sort of? Oh, for sure. Oh, that's, that's, if they that's know cool. language, it's language is being spoken. Like my nana, every time I tell her, I'm trying to learn Aranda, she goes, I can speak five languages and I'm like, seriously, what are you talking about? Like, show off. Nah, but um, yeah, if they can speak language, like when we've gone out bush, it's only language spoken. Why would they speak English? Like that is, that's ours, that's us. I've been, you know, when I text my cousins or, uh, you know, some of my friends who, even if they're not Yorta Yorta, will throw language in there. Um, so, you know, I've, I've got some friends who are Bunurang and we'll text each other um, in obviously not fluent language, but it might be good morning and I'd say it in Yorta and then they'd say it back in Bunurang. Just trying to use a lot more in, even if it's something really small in everyday life. For sure, yep. And, you know, if you're in the cooler nations, uh, a lot of the language is quite similar, uh, which is, you know, for Jajarurang, I was up at Jaburang country a couple of weeks ago um, at the camp up there and I was talking to one of the brothers and he said, yeah, you know that Jaburang and Jajarurang are actually 80% similar language. Wow. And I was like, oh, no way. But, and then, yeah, so there, there's lots of similarities um, even here with Bunurong and Jajarurang. So, yeah. How long were you up on the Jabarong country for? Uh, just for a few days. Yeah, we had a bit of a a ceremony and song and dance and yeah it was really beautiful was that before the directions tree was cut down after? no so that was afterwards yeah okay. yeah uh, we had a really beautiful weekend of um you know singing for country and 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 healing and yeah it was really nice how are they going up there we, we did a podcast spoke about it a few weeks ago um it, that, that was kind of right after I think they had they had started chopping them down and, you know, there were some small protests and that and some people kind of, from what I saw, unfairly getting arrested. But how how's the mob doing up there? Yeah, they're, they're keeping strong. There's a, a new camp set up. So obviously with the, 
with the area that's um, fenced off for works at the moment, um, no one's there. But yeah, that's that's going on in court at the moment. So yeah, we're just not sure what's going to happen. So has everyone been evicted off Dejabarong land or are they still there? They've, they've moved camps from where the, the actual um, site is. Uh, but yeah, there's um, a camp still up on Jabarang country. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome to see that, you know, it's it's still to this day we're fighting so, so hard for our land and it's almost like how much how much can they take away, you know? You know, they – oh, I saw um, – I actually posted this on my Instagram the other day, but there was a big banner up on Dejabarong country and it said – they take the land away from the children. No, they take the children away from the land and now they take the land away from the children. Like something like that. And it was a really powerful banner that was put up on Dejabaron country and it's just sad to see that, you know, to this day a lot of people aren't aware that that's still happening to our people. We're still having more and more taken away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, they've, they've been fighting for years to, to protect these trees and... Um, I think, you know, most people didn't even know about it until until recently, until it was all over the news. So, yeah, but lots going on. But, um, you know, when we're up there and singing for country and dancing and all of that, you can really feel that, you know, it's really powerful energy and, yeah, it's quite amazing. Well, that's the great thing too about our mob is we get behind each other so strongly. You know, you're going up there and being part of the healing process and, um, I know, I know Talia was really keen to get up there, um, barring restrictions and all that, the, the ring of steel stuff. Um, but that's, that's one great thing about our people is it's like, you know, one in all in kind of, I know that it would have, it would have been a lot of other mob other than just, you know, the, the drive wrong mob, but yeah, it's, it's lovely to hear that you are able to go out there and kind of be a part of that healing process. And I'm sure, I'm sure your presence and, um, music would have, would have really helped with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did you take your daughter up there? I didn't take her with me this time, but next time I will for sure. Yeah, there's plenty of kids up there and um, it's really good actually to see everyone living on um, camping or living whatever you want to call it on country, uh, getting back to the old ways and, yeah, there's heaps of young ones up there. So, uh, yeah, it's really beautiful to see. Is there a lot of police presence? There's there's no police where the camp is at the moment. Okay, that's good. Actually, yeah. It's on private property. How old's how old's your daughter, and where do you get all your you know your wealth of knowledge with the um, with all the different countries and the languages? And um, I know you've got a really strong strong family family support as well. But um, whereabouts have you got all this this information from? Oh, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of research. Um, you know, I felt this pull one day years ago to just uh, find out much more about my family and uh, I've been lucky working at the Trust. We've got, like I said, the Family History Unit. Um, but, you know, just talking to mob and cousins and um, reading books and we're pretty lucky up on Yorta country. Um, there was an old mission there before Kamaragunja called Maloga. And that's where my family were first put on. And um, the fellow that ran the Maloga mission actually uh, wrote things down a lot. So we've actually got a whole book um, that he wrote about our people and my family in particular. So just been really lucky with that. I've got lots of info that people 
a lot of people don't have and they don't ever get a chance to, to learn about their family. But, yeah, it's just something that I've felt inside me that I need to do and, um, yeah, that's just research. Kamaraganja Mission, is that the same from the Sapphires? It is. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> love Jessica Malboy. <laughs> before Kamara, yeah, it was Maloga, um, which was the first mission there. Were any of your relations or stories linked to that movie? No, I don't think so. <laughs> just just yeah. questioning. You never know. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Firstly, how old is your daughter and what, what would you like to sort of see passed on to her in terms of culture I mean I'm assuming kind of you know everything that you've got in your that, that you've got stored up there but um what's kind of how would you like to see her kind of grow up and um embrace her culture oh uh, yeah so my daughter's five and um she's very proud yorta yorta girl nice. Nice. uh and you know that for a start is like I always grew up knowing I was yorta yorta um my my parents told me um but because we live so far away and we were disconnected, I didn't have the opportunity to learn as much as I can give her. So, yeah, I've been sharing with her since um, she could understand me uh, about who she is. And that's one thing that I've given to her that I never had um, was really knowing who she is and, and being proud of that. And, um, yeah, and I'm going to, you know, she learns a lot of Bunurang stuff down here um, at kinder and school. Uh, so just giving her as, as much um, access to everything as possible because, you know, it's something that I never had and I've worked really hard to get all of this knowledge. So I just hope that she can be really proud and, and um, be a strong Yorta Yorta girl. No, I'm sure she will. I'm sure she will with 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 you with you behind her, and then you know you, your family as well. Um, yeah, there's no, I, I have no doubt. And then you know not only that, but you're also passing on all that information at the at obviously the Heritage Trust. And I'm sure just in every, every day the way you go about business, it sounds like that you're um you know you're you're, you're great you're a great person for our community to kind of have out there spreading that knowledge language. Um, you know, there's not, there's, it's, it's around, but you know, I, I, it's great to sort of see that, uh, you know, you've, you've really got that, that you're really strong in that area. Yeah. I hope that I can share, you know, even to the young people that come through, uh, if there are Yorta Yorta young people, I can share as much as possible. And that's, that's what it's all about. You know, I've been lucky enough to have some incredible mentors who have shared so much with me and, and that's, you know, that's what we do. We pass it down to our young people. So what's next for Carissa Nayalu? Oh, who knows? Um, <laughs> I hope to do some real recording um, in 2021. Uh, I've only really done some demos. I'm not a big fan on getting in the studio. It feels really unnatural. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully get something out there, um, something that's more produced. Um, and I just... I hope to be on country more and, and and surf more and play music more and um, that, that's <laughs> Yeah, that sounds awesome. Have you got any gigs coming up? Um, I have a couple lined up that, that aren't confirmed or they're confirmed. I've got a couple coming up uh, in the future, uh, in the near future. I always tell the young people when they come in, they say, you know, 
uh, they get shame or they can't sing or they can't write songs and all of our mob can can write and sing and tell stories and for me it's not about getting a, a number one hit or being played on the radio it's it's about just sharing um, stories and song and if I get heaps of good gigs and that's awesome but if I don't like that's not that's not why we sing you know and I like to tell all the young people all the time like it's not about singing and songwriting it's not about trying to sound perfect or trying to trying to get famous or it's not about our ego it's about um passing on knowledge and um connecting to country you know everything has a song it's not just um yeah about what mainstream want to listen to well thanks carissa for coming on the podcast we've really enjoyed your time and thanks for making the time to come on it's great what you're doing for the community in terms of Bundawara and just really keeping our culture alive in terms of song lines and up onto Jabberon country helping our mob heal um so yeah thank you no worries thanks for having me yeah thank you so much carissa hopefully we'll get to uh meet in person and then uh, we, we've been at, down at Bundjal and bring some young people into the Kuru Heritage Trust once it gets back up and running for sure and oh for sure um, yeah and we'll and we'll have to uh, we'll have to kind of uh you have to let us know about your gigs and we'll try to get that out to as much community as possible and yeah we've actually got a festival that I help organize uh happening I know that VAC has been involved a little bit in the past uh Woman Jika um it's down in Balnaring next March 13th um so yeah Highly recommend everyone come down and be a part of it. Say that date again. March thirteenth. March thirteenth. Oh, that's so far away, but like that's that's something to look forward to. I'm, I'd be keen for that. Was that cancelled last year? This year, due to COVID. No, we didn't end up cancelling. We actually uh, went ahead. Um, oh wow! Okay. But it, it was right on the cutoff, so they brought out on the Friday the rules that were meant to be implemented on the Sunday, and our festival was on the Saturday. Ah. Oh. You got in there. Yeah, so we did it um, and it was a really beautiful day and, yeah, I can't wait for, for next year. Um, it does seem like really far away but um, it'll be here before we know it. Time goes so fast. All right, well, thanks, Carissa. Yeah, thank you so much, Carissa. Cheers. And that was another episode of Mob Talk. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and um, we'll see you guys next week. Thank <laughs> you.